Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today, and it's, uh, boy, it's, it's getting tense. Now, this show drops on on sunday and so uh you're probably maybe listening to it a couple days before uh, election day now about uh, six days ago justice brett kavanaugh issued an opinion in a 5-3 supreme court ruling that barred wisconsin election officials from counting mail-in ballots that had been received after election day even though they had been postmarked on or before November 3rd. In his opinion, Kavanaugh wrote that states counting those ballots would create chaos and suspicion of impropriety that can ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after Election Day and potentially flip the results of the election. That's what he wrote. Except, as Justice Elena Kagan pointed out, there are no results to flip until all the valid votes are counted, and that nothing could be more suspicious or improper than refusing to tally votes that come in after the clock strikes midnight. By not allowing the votes of people who follow the law and cast their ballot by election day, Kavanaugh wasn't being a Supreme Court justice. He was being a Republican political operative in a costume. Because he knows that, as Justice Kagan responded, there's no result until you count all the votes of the people who legally voted by Election Day. But, of course, Kavanaugh knows that more Democrats are voting by mail because, well, we believe in science. And since COVID is now peaking in Wisconsin, I, I think Folks would like to use the mail to exercise their most fundamental right as an American, a right that suckers and losers in our armed forces have fought and and died for. A lot of Wisconsinites don't want to risk getting sick and and maybe end up dying alone, suffocating while thinking, man, I, I wish Kavanaugh had let me vote by mail. It is your right. It is your right to vote by casting a legal ballot by mail. But Kavanaugh knows, hey, a big part of our plan has been to slow down the mail in order to disenfranchise a lot of Democrats. And I I know exactly what my job is here. This is voter intimidation, voter suppression, and voter disenfranchisement. And the Republican Party has decided that that's the only way they can win. Trump has said out loud that if every American were allowed to vote, Republicans would never win another election. He said that. After Romney uh, lost in 2012, the Republican Party did what uh, they called an autopsy. 
And they looked at all the data and said, holy mackerel, there sure are a lot of young people of color who are joining the voter rolls. Hmm. Maybe we should try to, I don't know, appeal to them. You know, find ways to give them more opportunity and a, and a better life. Nah. Nah. Let's just suppress their votes. I mean, after all, that's something that we really know how to do. We're pretty good at that. And that's how they became the Trump Party. And the thing that defeats voter suppression is voting and getting out the vote. Look, I won my first race in 2008 by 312 votes out of 2.9 million. And I went through a nine months long recount battle and then legal battle. I actually won the recount in time to be seated in January, but they did everything they could to keep me out until July because I was our 60th vote. And if it weren't for those 312 votes, we would not have the Affordable Care Act. So if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday or maybe even early Tuesday, my pitch is not just to vote, but to use the next day or two or hours to get other people to vote, people in battleground states. And you can do this. Go to joebiden.com slash vote. JoeBiden.com slash vote. And they will give you a list of people to call in crucial battleground states. And you can do this all on Sunday, Monday, into Tuesday. Just do it. Ignore your job. Ignore your family. You don't have to cook dinner for the kids. Here's a known scientific fact. A seven-year-old can use a microwave oven. We just know that. And here's another scientifically verified fact. A seven-year-old can teach a four-year-old to use a microwave oven. It's just a known fact. So instead of being nervous for the next, I don't know, day, two days, few hours, do something useful and which just might make an enormous contribution to the well-being of this nation and the planet. So it's joebiden.com slash vote. Now, on what happens if Trump refuses to leave, that means he's lost, which is great. That's what we want. That's our dream. I'd be happy myself to pick him up after he's escorted out and take him wherever he wants to go, as long as he sits in the back and wears a mask. I'd, I'd bring a snack for him. One thing, though, if he loses, and I think he will, whether it's on November 4th or December 8th or January 6th, as, as soon as he knows he's lost, that will not be the time for the Joint Chiefs to take away the nuclear codes. That will be the time for them to give him the wrong code. Now, let's go through this. First of all, he could actually win. Remember that that happened before. And it's funny that our side is clearly not making plans to steal it ourselves. We're all, hey, if Trump actually wins, we'll concede graciously and the country will descend into a brutal dystopia in a matter of months. But hey, I guess that's what elections are for. That's us. On the other hand, if he loses, 
Trump's plan, the Republican plan, is to steal it. He's told us that. He said, if I lose, that means it was rigged. And that if it's rigged, there will be no peaceful transfer of power. Which means we have to have our eyes wide open on what he can do to steal this election. Because the only way he won't steal this election is if he can't. Their most obvious move is trying to stop the counting in Pennsylvania, which doesn't start counting the mail-in ballots till Election Day. And since most of those will be for Biden, it is very predictable that Trump could very well be ahead in Pennsylvania when the polls close and that he'll declare victory. And he'll certainly contest any place else that's close and tell the Boogaloo Boys and the right-wing militias to riot wearing Antifa t-shirts. And you know he'll use any executive power he has. He, he sends troops from the Department of Homeland Security out all the time and he'll send out the FBI to put down fake insurrections. And, and you know the Attorney General will facilitate him. Bill Barr hasn't just put his thumb on the scale. He's been sitting on the scale. And all this could become extremely ugly and not at all surprising, everybody. And then there's the other Republican state legislatures like Michigan and Wisconsin. They could present their own cohort of electors on December 8th, the safe harbor date. And we could go into January not knowing how it's all going to end. Now, on January 6th, Congress will meet to officially accept and count the electors. And at that point, it would become a political battle. If Democrats control both the House and the Senate at that moment, this is after the new Congress has, has been sworn in, and Biden has legitimately won the majority of the electors, Biden will be declared the winner, and that will be the moment to give Trump the wrong coats. So for the purposes of electing the 46th president by a vote in Congress, we would have had to flip a net of four Senate seats. And we have so many opportunities. Maine, North Carolina, South Carolina, two in Georgia, Mississippi, Texas, Kansas, Iowa, Colorado, Montana, Arizona, Alaska. If we win enough of those races, President Biden will be able to work with Congress and address all the ills that Donald Trump has ignored or created or exacerbated. But here's the deal. We have, as I record this, four days. We have to spend every second of those days doing as much as we can to turn out every vote. That's what we can do right now. So stop freaking out about Trump barricading himself in the Oval Office. Just work from now until the end of election day. Then whatever power we win on Tuesday, we have to use that power to unfuck our democracy so that this never happens again. They put us here through sheer force of will, evil will. They use their power to change the rules and install crooked people in powerful positions we have to use our power to change the rules back and install non 
crooked people so our system can be fair again. That way, next time we can spend the last few days worrying about democracy stuff like voting and volunteering instead of authoritarian stuff like throwing out people's ballots and refusing to accept the outcome. So deal with the anxiety for the next four, three, two, one, 20, 19 days, whatever it is. And then hopefully we'll earn a chance to fix this. Now, again, this means getting people out to vote. So joebiden.com slash vote. So let's talk about what Trump probably will try to do to steal this election with Dick Gephardt, a former Democratic majority leader in the in the House, who is part of an organization called Keep Our Republic, and Ian Basson, founder and executive director of Protect Democracy. I think uh, this will give you a lot of the information about what can be happening over the next few weeks if this is contested and what we can do about it. It's a great show for a change. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen, that's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Führer bunker. It's pretty simple, actually. Wo ist der Führer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L, dot com slash franken rules and restrictions may apply you can live out your master chef dreams when you find a professional on angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well inside to outside repairs to renovations Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back. We're talking to Dick Gephardt and Ian Bass. Dick, I, I know that Keep Our Republic is concerned about uh, this election being stolen. We've talked about this. Ian, uh, you are as well. I think you have a little bit of a different emphasis Keep Our Republic seems to be 
focused a lot on secret illegal powers of the president. And I think, Ian, I think protect democracy is just worry about the legal powers. So why don't we just get into that? Um, Ian, why don't I let you start with what you see as the threats here? You know, I've always believed that the only way this guy, this Trump, won't steal this election is if he can't. But how could he? Well, the good news is he can't do it alone. So everyone should feel comfortable with that. Uh, thankfully, the founders set up a system in which, you know, there still are a whole bunch of checks and balances out there. The president, if he were to actually legitimately lose the election and try to steal it, um, he would need accomplices throughout the government, in Congress, in the courts, in state legislatures, in the media, among the public. And so I think we can feel comfortable that he can't do it alone. In terms of what the threats are, I think there's a global, national, and personal dynamic to this. The global one is we've got autocrats around the world who are running you know, what they claim are elections, from, from Russia to Turkey to Hungary to Venezuela, but they're not really free and fair. And that's been a dynamic of the 21st century. The national threat is that, look, since Richard Nixon, the Republican Party has been committed to suppressing votes of people it thinks are not likely to support. It. That's just not a healthy way to behave in a democracy. And I think prior Republican presidents probably have had a better influence on the operatives out there trying to do that. But this current president seems to be just encouraging that. And then the personal aspect is, look, the president, Donald Trump, is a famously known cheater. Uh, you know, Michael Cohn's got this ridiculous episode in his book where CNBC was running a poll of who the most influential business people were of the last hundred years, and Trump insisted on cheating to get himself to the top of the poll. And that person's now the president of the United States. So all those dynamics create a toxic mix. The good news is he wouldn't be trying to do those things if he were in a position of strength. He's in a position of weakness, and that's why he's trying to do those things. Well, he's desperate, but you, the, who you named was uh, Congress as accomplices, possible accomplices, and we know Congress has been an accomplice. You named the courts, which is an <laughs> has been an accomplice to him. And the states, I don't put it past, you know, the Pennsylvania state legislature. I don't put it pa past a lot of uh, the very people you named who would have to be his accomplices. Dick, uh, what, what are your fears? And part of the reason we're doing this is so that Americans, at least my listeners, and hope they spread this, will have their eyes wide open as we go into this. Yeah, that's my worry. I, I wish I could agree with Ian's optimism that it takes a lot of others to help him steal the election, but he's got a lot of others. Uh, he's got all those things that you mentioned. He's got a cult also behind him, which is about 40% of the American people. So I am very worried, and we are very worried about unconventional threats uh, which we see possible to steal this election, if you will. One of the main ones we worry about is his uh, executive powers, which have grown up over the years. Many of them are not known to anyone in the country at all, save maybe two or three uh, bureaucrats who served in prior administrations or the president. And, and one time recently, President Trump said, I've got these incredible powers that nobody knows about. So as usual, he's always tells you what, what he's going to do and what to expect. These powers are little understood. They are extensive. 
They grew up since the Eisenhower period when we were worried about nuclear war and how to have a government survive in a nuclear war. And then more were added during the terrorism period with 9-11 and so on. But none of them have been taken away. Some of them were granted by Congress. I guess some of them were just promulgated by past presidents. Well, let, let's get into specifics. And, and Ian, you share an article with me from The Atlantic that actually talks about some of these that are very well known, right? Yeah, I mean, there are, I think, as Dick references, there are powers that are not as public uh, that, that presidents sign uh, directives on in the national security and intelligence space. But then there are a lot of powers that are written into the black letter statutory law on the books, uh, emergency powers that presidents have that, you know, we've always assumed would only be used in a proper context. But as we know from this president, um, we can't count on that anymore, right? He declared a fake emergency at the southern border in order to steal money that Congress refused to appropriate in order to build a border wall. Um, and so, you know, the Brennan Center and Liza Goitine have done some terrific work laying out what all of those what all of those powers are. But I don't want us to lose sight of the one accomplice that I mentioned, Al, that we should remain optimistic about, which is it's not just Congress, the courts, the state legislatures. I also said the public, right? Um, because at the end of the day, if the public votes in overwhelming numbers, there's there's just no way that it gets stolen. That's a huge if. And and listen, you're you're saying. If what we hope happens happens, then we don't have to worry about anything. Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm worried about what if what we hope happens doesn't happen. Look, if there's a landslide for Biden, yay, you know, great. But we're not talking about that. And listen, I don't want anything that we are talking about to discourage people at all from voting. In fact, this is going to hit on the Sunday before the election. If you hear me talk about this, the best response to this is to just call people. If you live in L.A., don't call people in L.A. If you live in L.A., call people you know in Michigan. And we, you can get lists of people. I won by 312 votes in the 2008 election. I had a recount. I wasn't seated until July of 2009. But if it weren't the, for those 312 votes, we wouldn't have the ACA. Okay? Th this is about a lot of things. The thing it isn't about is discouraging people from voting. It's about encouraging people to turn out and to turn other people out, turn their friends out. But let's talk about, I mean, here's another person I'll send chills down your spine when talking about this. Bill Barr. Bill Barr. Bill Barr, unitary executive. I mean, he's, he's the chief law enforcement officer in the country. Anyone want to speak to Bill Barr? We're absolutely concerned about it. And look, DOJ is a real danger, right? Um, and we have seen throughout the administration the attempt to turn the Department of Justice into a sword to go after the president's opponents and a shield to protect his friends, right? That's how law enforcement works in Russia and other authoritarian regimes. It's not the way it works in the United States. And we are not out of the woods yet, even when this airs on Sunday, as to whether DOJ will attempt to do something to interfere with the election either before it or afterwards, because Donald Trump knows full well that he likely would not be president, but for the two interventions that Jim Comey made in the last 11 days of the 2016 election. He saw it, he saw it got in the presidency, and since day one, he has been trying to make sure that DOJ intervenes again on his behalf. And I think one of the things that we all can do uh, as consumers of the media and consumers of information is know that if Bill Barr steps to the podium 
anytime around election day, you should not trust what is coming out of his mouth because he has proven that he is a corrupt actor in this space. And I think it's important that we not take him at face value if he steps to the podium around this election. Well, I can guarantee you that most 95% of the people listening to this podcast aren't going to trust what he says. That's sort of not the point here. It's what can we do about it and what can he do? For example, let's say I see a scenario where the Boogaloo Boys, who did this in Minneapolis after the George Floyd murder, they incited the burning down of the third precinct there. And there's also a guy in Minneapolis who's on tape who just had a raincoat on and a mask and just bam, 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 broke windows. Turns out he was a a right-wing guy, a right-wing agitator. And, of course, that was the excuse for the president to say, oh, well, the Black Lives Matter is very violent and we have to we have to go to Portland and we have to do, go to Seattle. And in Seattle, wasn't there an attempt to cite the mayor of Seattle for insurrection? Let me, let me give you the scenario that I'm most worried about. Um, you know, if Ian is right and, and this is a mini or a major landslide for Joe Biden, you're going to know that on election night or by early the next morning, because it looks like uh, North Carolina and especially Florida and probably Arizona will be counting their mail-in ballots way ahead of time, and they'll be able to make a pretty definitive result unless those states are razor thin close. So if Biden has got a good result, you'll probably know that that night or the next morning. However, If it's close, or if he doesn't win those races, then we move to the big three in the upper Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And we think that it'll take at least a week, if not longer, to count the ballots in two of those states, especially Pennsylvania. My worry is that when the long count begins, You could have demonstrations starting. You could have the Boogaloo boys in the streets, and then you could have disorder. You could have left-wing groups in the streets to counter them. And then Bill Barr, uh, helping his personal client, uh, Donald Trump, could use the executive powers to shut down the count, uh, to stop the violence, and to tell the state legislators in a state like Pennsylvania that the count is over to send his slate of electors to the Electoral College and to the Congress, and we're done. I won. And incidentally, they would probably undoubtedly say that the mail-in ballots are all invalid anyway. They came from China. You remember when he said that Hillary, who had won the popular vote by close to 3 million votes, said every one of those vote was from an uh, illegal immigrant. And then, remember, they had the commission, what's his name, Kobach. They looked at that, and uh, you know what they didn't? I don't think they found one of those. But he's going to do it again. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, Ian, what what happens there? Now, that is assuming a close election. That assumes that he, he also can... That's just one state. That's Pennsylvania. But let's assuming, what, Wisconsin and Michigan. We don't know exactly how they're going to go. But that's a scenario. Ian? 
Yeah, no, that, that is the nightmare scenario. And just for a point of confidence, that Pence Kobach Commission, we and a bunch of other groups helped shut it down so we can win these things. But here's the here's the nightmare scenario that, that Dick's talking about is Barr doesn't have to actually intervene and order the count shut down. He can simply try to tie up the count in court, right? Now you've got a 6-3 Trump-friendly court to delay the count, right, until you get close to December 8th, which is the date by which states are supposed to send their slate of electors into the Electoral College in order to guarantee that slate preference under what's known as the Electoral Count Act. Now, the Electoral Count Act is a statute that was passed after the very controversial election of 1876 to try to afford some order to how the Electoral College works and how Electoral College votes are counted. So the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania, you can imagine as it gets close to December 8th, if the ballots have not been counted yet, Barr's trying to litigate it, you can imagine in this period that the Russians, seizing an opportunity, start planting stories in social media about Chinese ballots or Iranian ballots in order to support the president's case that mail ballots are fraudulent. And so the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania simply says, look, we've got to get a slate of electors into the college before December 8th, or the entire state is disenfranchised. Democrats and Republicans alike. We've got to preserve Pennsylvania's seat at the table. But especially Republicans. That's right. And so we're (laughs) going to send in the Trump slate of electors. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. If they were to try something that corrupt, which is clearly corrupt and should not happen, well, the governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf, could say that's corrupt. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to send in the Democratic slate of electors because what I can see as we're counting these votes is as the votes continue to get counted, uh, the the count is going to turn in favor of Biden. And I want to preserve that option at the table. And then when those two slates of electors are counted by Congress on January 6th, this is an interesting thing the Electoral Count Act says. It says that when there are two different slates of electors and the two bodies in Congress can't decide which ones to count, the one sent in by the governor prevails. Now, That only would be legitimate if after all the ballots are counted, in fact, Biden has won. But there is a face-saving provision in the Electoral Count Act to override a state legislature trying to do something that corrupt. And that, thank God, we the governor is a Democrat. That shows that a lot of almost random factors are at play. I mean, the outcome of the 2020 presidential race might be determined by who won the 2018 uh, governor's race in, in Pennsylvania. Another is going to be when you're talking about January 6th, when Congress takes this up, we're probably expect the House to be Democratic. We don't know what the what the Senate's going to be. And uh, if it's 50-50, does Pence, he's still vice president, does Pence cast the vote? I mean, I just want the listeners to have a clear view of the different scenarios and the different ways that this can go. We, we looked at all that, Al, and uh, the, the, the really big factor here is if the Democrats retake the Senate. That apparently can affect a lot of what Pence can do or not do. And there's general optimism, maybe too strong of a word, that if we can win the Senate, that we can really stop him from, you know, throwing it to the Republican slates. Okay, so... Let's say there's a dispute in one state, and if the Democrats control both the House and the Senate, this is a political uh, solution. I mean, this is is very similar to 1876, which was a political solution, right? Although let's remember that 1876 was resolved on the backs of African-Americans in the South. 
right? Because you had they, an they did they got rid of uh, Reconstruction. That's right. The deal the deal was that Hayes would become the president, and the North would withdraw its troops from the South and end Reconstruction. And of course, that meant the the rise of Jim Crow. Uh, I didn't say it was a good outcome. I said no, it was a political but, outcome. And uh, I want... But it's important for us all to know that because if we were to end up in a crisis situation this time, um, if you look around the world, those types of, of crises are normally resolved through, you know, political processes, negotiation processes. And I think it's important for all of us, you know, listeners to, to know that in a situation like that, we cannot allow the future of the country to be born disproportionately on the backs of our most vulnerable citizens. Well, and, and the best way to do that is for Democrats to be in control of the Senate and the House. That solves that. But just to make it clear, if they're divided, then it goes to the House, right? And each and, and the vote in the House would be that each delegation has one vote. Every state has one vote. And right now, they would have 26 votes if this were today. There'd be, there are 26 delegations controlled by Republicans. There are 23 by Democrats, and there's one that's tied, right? That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of work going on at the DCCC and in Democratic groups to try to flip uh, enough delegations in the House. So take Alaska and, and Montana. Uh, each just has one at-large seat, House seat. And both of those races are close. So if we win those seats in Alaska and Montana, that's a pickup too. So we're we're tied. And then there are some other states as well that are in play of, of, of flipping. I know Florida is one of them. So we could do this, but it's you know it's a little bit of an inside straight. That's right. And now now the other complication is even if. Uh, the Democrats do take the Senate. The vice president presides over the counting of the electoral votes uh, in, in the Congress. Now, traditionally, that is a ministerial power, which means that all they're doing is basically opening the, elect- the, the envelopes uh, and directing the processes. It's important to remember that's historically how it's functioned. So if Mike Pence were to try to assert some greater powers over that process, he'd be acting in a corrupt way that's inconsistent with the history of this country. And an interesting precedent to that is in 2000, when Al Gore was the presiding officer in the Senate, counting the Electoral College votes that gave the presidency not to him, but to George W. Bush. And he had opportunities where he could have claimed corruptly to have powers to sort of change the way those votes were counted. And he didn't do that, because that's not the way it works. And if Pence were to try to do that, I think everyone needs to be prepared to call that out as entirely corrupt. What would the chance be that Pence would act in a unprincipled way where Al Gore hadn't? I wonder. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, look what a great job he's done on the uh, coronavirus task force. Anyway, um, let's not answer that. So let's get those dates down. Uh, safe harbor date uh, is Sem- December 8th. December 8th. What's the next date? December 23rd is when all Electoral College votes need to be sent in to uh, state capitals and then submitted to the Congress. And then January 6th is when Congress meets to count the votes. Now, let's hope that none of this is uh, operable, that this is all settled within a few days of the election or maybe that night and the next day because of an overwhelming victory. You know, one way or another, we can't root for anybody here on on the Al Franken Podcast. We'll be right back with Dick Gephardt and Ian Bassett. 
If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What other really hinky powers that the president may assert this president who will assert anything, what could he try to do in terms of uh, putting federal troops in the streets, in terms of shutting down the internet or stuff like that? What is the worst stuff that's actually possible with this guy? Because it's hard to imagine anything this guy wouldn't do if he could. So Ian, talk about the Insurrection Act, which he and Bill Barr, uh, I think, cited on the Lafayette Square incident. Yeah, you know, obviously the president has tried to deploy troops in Washington, D.C., uh, and he's tried to deploy federal agents, not just tried, he's deployed federal agents in Portland, Oregon, and he has sent a variety of different uh, federal law enforcement agents to a bunch of cities around the country. I think what he's learned is that the Department of Defense is unlikely to go along with this. I think you saw after Lafayette Square where the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, said it was a mistake for him to be involved. And I think the president realizes that DOD has a long tradition and history of not interfering in situations like this. And so what the president has done is he's turned to two agencies where he feels he has greater control, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice. So Although he does have the powers, some powers over the Insurrection Act to try to use troops uh, domestically, I think he's more likely to use this sort of less traditional forces that are in the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice. And I think, you know, we at Protect Democracy are working with state attorneys general on the powers they have to basically prevent that, to try to stop that from happening. But that is something the president has clearly tried to do because he sees those agencies under Bill Barr and Chad Wolf as more loyal to him and more directly under his control. And that is not an, I agree with you about uh, Milley, who after Lafayette Square basically said what I did was inappropriate. And I'm surprised that Trump hasn't found a way to to get rid of him. I, I, I was expecting Milley to go. 
because my God, that's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And if you're trying to do a coup, that's the last guy you want to have principled. So that that's has I've just been fascinated watching that, going like, well, why is Millie still there? He's still there. It's good. He's still there. Well, and Ian, are there not some of these emergency powers that even give uh, the president by declaring an emergency to declare martial law and even perhaps uh, shut down the internet or even suspend the constitution? What do you think? No. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I no. Look, I mean, here, here, here's. I mean, Dick's right. There are, you know, and the the Atlantic piece that Liza Goitin um, documented does have an enormous amount of very scary emergency powers that Congress has basically handed over to presidents over many decades, including these powers of sort of emergency communications, being able to send. I think we all, at some point, didn't we all get some sort of text message from the president testing out the sort of, or maybe it was just from another federal office, testing out the emergency communications apparatus of the country, which are designed for situations like, you know, a nuclear warhead is heading to the United States and they want to alert people to go into shelters, right? That's what it's for. It's not for situations around an election, but you know, Dick's right that the president could try to use some of those powers in really corrupt ways. Look, obviously, I am terrified that this country could slip into an autocracy. That's that's why we form protect democracy. But I'm also hardened because there are things that are stopping the worst from happening. So you're right, Al, the president has not fired the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, nor has he fired uh, Fauci, nor has he fired Chris Ray, even though he clearly wants to do all of that. And we have to ask why. And I think the reason is he realizes that, look, if he loses the election by a landslide, um, it's going to be very hard for him to steal it. And I think he's calculated that if he fires Fauci or Millie or Ray in the next week, it's going to have devastating political consequences for him. And that's why he's not doing it. That to me is where I take some solace that some of the checks in the system are still working, right? We are still, we are still up at least until, you know, next month, we'll see what happens. We're still a democracy, right? We, the power still does rest with we the people. And all the worries we all have, and I think we're justified in having them, I really don't want us to lose sight of that because the listeners still have the ultimate power in this country. Yeah, Ian, I, again, uh, the, I'm all about everyone, not just vote, but get other people to vote. That's, that's the easiest way this gets done. But the fact that he hasn't fired Fauci is Fauci doesn't have any authority that will affect how to steal the election. Millie does, so and Ray maybe does, but but Fauci certainly doesn't, and he just knows you're right. If he got rid of Fauci, that would increase the chances that he loses, and he loses big. So that's why he doesn't do that. Firing Millie at this late date would also <laughs> be really, uh, yeah, I don't see him doing that. And firing Ray, and I'm sure he really badly wants to fire Ray, but, you know, I think right now he's stuck, right? He can't do that because everybody will go, oh, my God. He has said, if I lose, that means the election is rigged. And then he's also said there will not be a peaceful transition of power essentially, if this was rigged. Therefore, he's basically saying, if I lose, there is not a peaceful transition of power. That's A equals B, B equals C, A equals C. And Michael Cohen has repeatedly said over and over again that he does not expect him to accept a, a loss, that he will not do that. He cannot do that. It depends what you mean by accept. 
So there's except like I'm going to form my media empire, Trump TV, and complain about this for the rest of my life. That's not accepting. And then there's not accepting suspending the internet, <laughs> you know, and and sending troops out. So uh, the, those are two different things, right? Yeah, they are. And I guess uh, a, a mid-course would be to try to do this stuff with the Pennsylvania legislature, the Wisconsin legislature, what have you, which would kind of be a mid-course. Right. And, and I think what I'm trying to do here is – what I don't want to start happening is they do stuff that we don't recognize what it is. And then we don't know till a week later, two weeks later, like, oh, I see they sold the election two weeks ago. You know, I'm going to be the, the, the system has these protections in it. And one of them is the civil service, right? Um, and so in order for the president to do some of the things that we're contemplating here, whether that is sending you know, for federal forces from some agency in or sending messages over the emergency broadcast system, you know, thankfully, he's not sitting in a control room uh, with all of the buttons at his fingertips able to press those buttons himself. He needs a, you know, a lot of people to carry out that work. And if he were to actually lose the election, all of a sudden, the willingness of those who up to this point have been um, unfortunately too compliant to some, some corrupt and autocratic moves that he's made all of a sudden become a lot less likely to be compliant, right? I mean, even rats flee a sinking ship. And so if the president were to lose the election, apparent, you know, be, be pretty apparent that he's lost the election, and try to activate different agencies of the federal government to do things on his behalf, I think he's going to run into a headwinds with people in the government who are going to say, no. Uh, you know, we're not going to do that either because they're principled people in the government or even if they're political appointees, they also now are looking at possibly needing to go find a new private sector job in a couple of months. Right. Um, and I can say right now, you know, Rod Rosenstein went to the law firm King and Spalding, big law firm out of Atlanta. They represent some of the biggest brands in the country, Coca-Cola, uh, you know, Johnson and Johnson. I have a feeling that now that these reports are out about the role that Rosenstein played in separating infants from their children, that there's going to be a lot of consumers who are pretty concerned that their brands that they shop are given money to a human rights abuser like Rod Rosenstein. And when that starts to play out in the media, uh, I think you're going to have a lot of these government officials who are like, wait a minute, if I do something in government and this, this ship's going down, the Trump ship's going down. I'm going to have a hard time getting a job in the private sector. And they're going to be thinking about those things in a way that they weren't when it looked like Trump was a winner. Or the only way I can save myself is to keep this guy in. I mean, that's the flip side of that. I don't mean to be uh, pessimistic, but here, here's, here's the optimistic side of this. Our elections are very, very decentralized. These are counties. These are states, Right. I mean, there's a lot of people involved in these things. I mean, we saw in Bush v. Gore, we saw the state of Florida, those officials act in a hinky way. But there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of people this goes through. And I do feel that that's a safety net in a way. No, it is, Al. And I, I want to do a a shout out, if that's the right way to say it, to all of the election workers, all the young people that are volunteering to be poll workers. Uh, my son and his wife are in Atlanta. They've agreed to work for a month as volunteers uh, to count the mail-in ballots and to do whatever needs to be done. 
I've, I've also talked to a lot of secretaries of state of states like Pennsylvania and others, and they are working overtime to make sure they can do their job correctly, fairly, and accurately. So we should take some optimism from the people that are involved in this process, wanting the process to work and to be fair and to get to a valid result. Now, on, on the other hand, there'll be goons, poll-watching goons, right? I guess, but I, I, don't, I don't really, I'm not thinking they're going to be that successful. Maybe I'm wrong. Ian, hasn't the Republican Party been under a consent decree for years that ended after 16? That's right. You know, in 1982, uh, the Democratic Party brought a lawsuit against the Republican Party, alleging that the Republican Party was deploying uh, poll watchers in a manner that was designed and, and effectively did intimidate voters, particularly voters of color. They That, that lawsuit led to uh, a court order that for the last, what is that, three plus four decades um, has prohibited the Republican Party from having that sort of poll watching apparatus because, as I said earlier, you know, the Republican Party for decades has viewed part of its way of winning elections as suppressing the votes of people unlikely to vote for it. Now, that's not healthy in a democracy, but they've done it. And that decree was lifted this year. So you see uh, President Trump and, and the Republican National Committee talking about you know, having armies of poll watchers, and that's the word they use. But of course, all these elections are run by local officials, right? Um, and who have, who have local authority, both not only to run the elections, but to keep interference, intimidation, suppression out of the election space. Um, and the good news is, I think a lot of the places that the RNC would most want to suppress votes ha are run by trusted local officials who don't want that to happen. Um, and so they're going to have legal tools, anyone that goes to try to interfere to get them out of there. And so I think voters can feel confident that they're going to be protected by our system and local officials and can go cast their votes with confidence. As the president said in the first debate, bad things happen in Philadelphia. Remember, he and he said that they had poll watchers who were denied entrance to a place that wasn't a poll in in their primaries. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and besides that, W.C. Fields wouldn't agree with him, right, on that statement? He's the one who said, all things considered, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. But anyway, <laughs> Ian, aren't there laws that prohibit even law enforcement people for being uh, within a certain distance from a polling place. That's right. I think there's laws against police intimidate, but not goons. Goons too. Goons too. It may not say that. I'm not sure that's the language in the statute. <laughs> but that's that's definitely what it's intended to prevent, right? Um, to allow people to cast their votes with confidence. And look, here's the other thing, right? Is I'm watching what's happening in Belarus right now. Right, um, where they're way further down the road to autocracy than we are. Right, they had a stolen election from an authoritarian ruler who's in charge, and the people of Belarus are undeterred in going into the streets and fighting for their democracy. And a lot of them are suffering far higher personal costs and consequences than we could contemplate suffering here, and they're doing it because they believe in democracy. And I look at that and I think if they can do that there and have that sort of bravery and confidence there, then the least we can do here, where it's much easier and safer to vote, is to go and do it here. Because I, I believe this firmly. I think this is an election where you're going to use it or you're going to lose it with respect to the vote. Because if you don't vote this time, 
I don't think you're going to have an opportunity to potentially freely vote next time because Donald Trump has made it very clear that if he holds on to power this election, he does not intend to relinquish it during his lifetime. And if we're sitting here, the three of us, talking about all these threats to the 2020 election, just imagine what the 2024 election might look like if Trump's in power for four more years, if there even is one. So if you ever had an excuse uh, to not vote, you don't have it this time, because if you don't vote this time, you may never get the chance again. And I'm serious about that. But also there's that. And then everybody stay alert and see what this this guy is doing, right? Right. I mean, uh, we've never gone through anything like this. This is a new experience for everybody that doesn't matter your age. And I never thought this kind of thing could happen in the United States, but it's happened. And we have to we have to do our duty as citizens. We have to vote, but we have to be aware of what can happen and be prepared for it. That's that's the whole thing we've tried to do at Keep Our Republic is just get people in a frame of mind so they understand the risks that are involved here and ready to do what they can and have to do to make this thing come out right. And I think it'll work. What do you want people to be listening for after election night, election night and beyond? Well, I think the first thing, and this is good news, is that I think by and large now the American people know that we may not know the results on election night. That's okay. And that as all of the ballots get counted after election night, the results could change, right? Uh, And that's okay too. Uh, And we're seeing sort of broadly in surveys, the American people understand that. And that, you know, that's to the, to the credit of our electorate to really understand this could be a longer process than usual. And that's, that's perfectly okay. The other thing I think is really important for people to know is that this is a canary in the coal mine. Hopefully, if we survive it, that our democracy does not protect itself and that it requires active effort by all of us on a regular, ongoing basis to keep our democracy strong. And if we should be so lucky as to survive the autocratic white supremacist presidency of Donald Trump, we wipe our hands of this problem at our peril. This is a warning. We have to do more to shore up our democratic institutions, to build a more representative democracy. And that work starts after Trump. uh, And we got to be ready for that, too. This is a wake-up call for all of us. And uh, we have to remind each other that this is self-government. This is all of us being involved as citizens in making this democracy work. And once we get through this election, we've got a lot of work to do to fortify and strengthen this democracy. First, we've got to have political and electoral reform. We need campaign finance reform so people uh, don't believe that the government is for sale to the highest bidder. We got to have gerrymander reform so we can have congressional districts that aren't all are are all D. We got to have electoral college reform. In my view, it is crazy that we still don't have a a constitution that says that the national popular vote winner is the president, and all of that can be accomplished. Finally, we've got to figure out how to control, maybe is too strong of a word, or to affect the media, both legacy media and social media, to have some filter on the information that is in front of the American people every minute of every day. 
We used to have editors or curators of information at newspapers. They don't exist anymore, but maybe something like that needs to exist. If we don't have a shared reality, a shared set of facts in this country, it is pretty hard to have a democracy. And once we get through this election, we can't all, you know, wipe our brow and say, wow, that was tough, but we can relax. We can't relax. Time to be citizens and to participate in self-government. Then last point about two sets of information. And unfortunately, that, that's been evolving and gotten worse and worse. I wrote a book called Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot and Other Observations back in 95. Then I wrote a book called Lies and Lying Liars to tell them fair and balanced like the right, which is about Fox. There's a reason that Rush Limbaugh got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Without him, there's no Trump and no President Trump, certainly. This is going to exist no matter who wins. And even if Biden wins, there's going to be 40 percent of our public getting information, their Facebook feed will be feeding them what they want to read and also stuff that Facebook knows will activate them to read more and stay online more. That That's an enormous part of this problem. It, it will be there the day after this election is decided. Uh, it's not, not an easy problem to attack when you have an internet that um, is free and open and uh, when you have actors like Facebook that really just want to maximize profit and not act, act responsibly. So that's, uh, that's a topic for another day. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for your work. You know, Godspeed. Let's hope that uh, the scenario here is a, a big enough victory for Joe Biden. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say who I'm for. And uh, let's hope that the outcome of this is clear on uh, election night or, or early in the morning and that we can breathe a sigh of relief. Other than that, um, you know, everybody's been waiting for November 3rd to go like, oh, finally I'll be able to breathe. And mm, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So stay uh, vigilant, everybody, right? Yep. Exactly. Be patient, be peaceful, and demand every vote be counted. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having us. Thank you, Al. Is it great to be with you? Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. 
Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.